Welcome from all of us at Albuquerque Reformed Church, a particular congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church located in New Mexico. We thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. For more information about Albuquerque Reformed Church or to contribute to its ministry, visit abqreformed.org. And now, we invite you to open your Bible and listen to the preached word. Since we have uh, begun to study this uh, gospel, gospel of Luke, uh, we have seen Luke introducing introducing Jesus as the messianic king. That's how uh, he introduces Jesus. In chapter 1, verse 32, Luke shows us that he will be sitting on the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then we have seen the Song of Mary, prophecy of Zechariah, Simeon, and Anna the prophetess, that Jesus is the one who was to come and bring redemption to Israel and to the whole world. And then in chapter 4, when we saw, uh, when we saw that when Jesus began to preach, he preached saying the kingdom of heaven is near and repent. So that means in his person, the kingdom of God was coming to the world. Kingdom of God is the rule of God in the hearts of lawless people. That is a primary sense. Eventually, that will be political and whatever it is. But kingdom of God in the New Testament is is primarily the rule of God in the hearts of lawless people. And in the prior... And in the person of Christ, the rule of God had come in the midst of a sinful and fallen humanity. And his teaching was elucidation of life in the kingdom. And and his healings and miracles attested to the truthfulness of his teaching. Anybody could claim whatever they want to claim. It's not difficult to claim. All kinds of uh, prophets, they claimed something or the other thing. But, But it is another thing to demonstrate the truthfulness of that claim. It's only Jesus who demonstrated the truthfulness of his claim. Now, last time we noted that it was Peter who recognized who Jesus really was, and it was because God the Father revealed that to him. When Jesus asked his disciples who the crowd thought he was, they said some thought that he was John the Baptist, some say Elijah, Some said uh, maybe some other prophet, Uh, but nobody guessed if Jesus was the coming Messiah. Uh, They only looked for a regal figure in history who would fulfill all the royal messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, but they missed passages like Isaiah 53. They just could not see that and understand. They could not understand that. They missed passages in Zechariah, which we just read. You know, king coming on a donkey. King usually don't come on a donkey. But, you know, Zechariah says that a king would come on a donkey and Psalms which speaks about the sufferings of Messiah. So they miss all those passages, but they look for only those passages which spoke about uh, Messiah ruling and reigning. And they could not see the kingdom of God in their midst in the person of Jesus because there was nothing regal in Jesus at that point of time. But then we saw the confession of Peter, and his confession 
was a major turning point in the history of redemption. It was a major turning point. It was Peter who first identified Jesus as the coming Messiah. It meant that Jesus is the king who was to come and sit on the throne of David. Now, we don't know how much uh, Peter knew personally what it meant. And I think perhaps, like most other, he thought the same thing. He identified Jesus as the Messiah, but perhaps he thought that within his lifetime, within their lifetime, disciples' lifetime, Jesus would overthrow the Roman Empire and he would establish a Davidic monarchy. But then last time we saw that Jesus explained to Peter and the disciples that he must suffer many things. And he would be killed at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And he would be raised again on the third day. And then he also told them that even they are going to suffer. Even they are going to suffer for his name and they must expect suffering for his namesake. And suffering for Christ's sake, it's not easy. It hurts. Uh, last week, I was uh, reading a report. Uh, there was a young cop in uh, Georgia. So he uh, updated something on uh, Facebook, uh, uh, Facebook, uh, something about uh, traditional marriage between uh, one man and uh, one woman. And his seniors uh, came after me and they started giving trouble to him. And eventually he had to resign from his job. And he was just 19 year old. He had a career, but then, uh, you know, because he held to a biblical conviction that marriage is between one man and one woman, and he had to lose his job. And sometimes this is how suffering uh, comes our way. Jesus calls us to die daily, uh, take up, uh, uh, take up our cross, and uh, uh, and uh, walk. Uh, Take, take up our cross uh, and uh, walk faithfully, uh, holding to him and believing in him, trusting in him, hearing uh, what all what he says. And uh, it was not easy for the apostles to suffer. Suffering is nev never easy, but this is the calling of Christ. We are called to suffer for his name's sake. Philippians chapter 1 verse 28 and 29 shows us that the suffering for the name of Christ is a proof of our salvation. We are granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his name, name's sake. Now in verse 28 to 36, Jesus is showing a glimpse of his glory to his disciples so that they would be prepared to endure the sufferings which are going to come their way. Jesus is preparing them. It is true that you are going to suffer for my namesake, but I am going to show you a glimpse of my glory. And, and that's important. And that's how sometimes in life, you know, you wait on something for a long time and you're suffering, uh, you know, going through something. But then, you know, maybe through your friends or godly friends or relative, someone, they, you know, someone come and they say a nice word and they show you hope. And because of that hope, you're able to endure that suffering. And here, this passage is exactly after the previous passage where Jesus spoke about the suffering and death and humiliation. And here, Luke puts uh, uh, this uh, passage here. You know, it, it is Jesus is giving a glimpse of his glory so that they would be able 
to endure the sufferings which is going to come on their way. So what we are going to see today afternoon is this, a glimpse of the glory of the king and his kingdom. A glimpse of the glory of the king and his kingdom. This we are going to see under two headings, glory of the king revealed, verses 28 to 31, and glory of the king attested, 32 to 36. Glory of the king revealed and glory of the king attested. Glory of the king revealed, verses 28 to 31. Now Luke begins this section by saying, Now it came to pass about eight days after these things that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Now Luke begins this uh, section by showing us that after eight days, Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up to pray. Uh, Luke says about eight days after these sayings, eight days. Matthew and Mark say that this happened after six days. Most likely, Luke includes the day on which Christ spoke about his suffering and the day of his transgression. So, 6 plus 2. So, Luke most likely includes both of the day. And he speaks about eight, about eight days approximate. He gives us an approximate uh, day. Now, Jesus uh, took Peter, John, and uh, James and went up on the mountain to pray as they constituted, constituted his inner circle. They were his uh, close friends. Uh, they were very close uh, to Jesus. And one of the ways Jesus nurtured his uh, friendship with them, with these men, and prepared them for spiritual leadership was to spend time with them in prayer. And that's how you nurture friendship with, uh, with godly people. You spend time with them in prayer. You set apart some time. And uh, with people of God, uh, you pray. Jesus spent time with them in prayer. And in fact, this is how we can nurture or anyone can nurture close relationship with Christ. Often, uh, we feel ourselves far from Christ. We feel that distance. Uh, perhaps it is because we are not spending enough time in prayer with Christ. If this is your condition, then... Uh, Look at Luke. He has pointed again and again, again and again to the discipline, uh, to Jesus' discipline of prayer. Jesus prayed at every crucial uh, moment in his time. Before every major step, he prayed. And we are called to pray. We are called to pray uh, to Jesus. We are called to pray to God. At the same time, we are called to pray with one another. Uh, it's, it's not enough that, you know, we pray with our brothers and sisters in Christ on uh, Sundays and Wednesday, even other days, if we can spare some time. Uh, we must pray with one another. And now here, uh, Luke shows us that as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. Mark says that he transfigured before them. Matthew says that his face shone like the sun. Just imagine. His face shone like the sun. Revelation. Exactly. And then Luke says that his robe became white and glistening. And Mark shows us that his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow 
that no launderer on earth can whiten them. No launderer on earth can whiter them. It is, it was like that. I think this is unlike anything Peter, James, and John had seen in their entire lives. This is unlike the glory of the one who came back to life from the dead. We had seen the son of the widow of Nain brought back to life, but there was nothing spectacular in his external appearance. But this is entirely a different sight for them. This is Jesus manifesting his glory, literally manifesting his glory to his disciples. This is the spark of divinity from his human, through his human nature. His appearance was not simply altered, but transfigured. In other words, it was illuminated with visible glory. They were able to see that. Peter, James, and John so saw a blinding display of light as if they were caught in the high beams of heaven. Even on earth, on that mountain, they were giving it. Uh, they were getting a taste of of heaven, even though they they are mortal. They were mortal men, but on that mountain at that point of time, they were getting it. They were getting the taste of heaven. How does heaven look like? Heaven looked like the way Jesus looked to them on that particular way, or on that particular day. Jesus radiated with divine incandescence, his deity shining through the veil of his humanity. As the disciples gazed into his face, they saw a radiant luminescence that revealed the glory of God's only Son. The second person of Trinity became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul, but he never gave up his divine prerogative. As some falsely claim or some falsely tease that Jesus ceased to be God. But it was, in fact, not even possible for him to give, give his divine nature. God cannot become not God. Like, by definition, it's like God is God. Like, you, God cannot become not God. I, I, I think that's a heresy, you know, some, some people taught in the past, like, God can become, like, not God. That's just not possible. God cannot become a lesser God. Because by definition, God is God. God is perfect in, in all his ways, in all his attributes. He is perfect. So he, it was not possible for him to give up his divine nature. On the contrary, he humbled himself by taking to himself a true nature, a true human nature. All this time, Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in human weakness. Jesus needed rest like anyone else. Uh, he felt hunger. And then, then in Luke 2 shows that in his uh, human nature, in his humanity, he grew in wisdom and stature. They had seen him in his human likeness after he had told them that he must suffer and even they will suffer for his namesake. They would have been discouraged. But now they get a glimpse of the king and his glory. Finally, they see the glory of the king. Here is our king, they might have, uh, they might have uh, uh, exclaimed. Now, they really see who this king truly is. He is the eternal son of God who has come to establish his kingdom. He is the king, eternal, immortal, and only wise God who has come to tabernacle among his people. Here for the first time in the Gospels, they were witnessing the majesty of the son of God. Now, Jesus is, was not alone on this mountain, but now uh, Luke shows us uh, he was joined by two men. 
two men from the Old Testament. In verse 30, we see that the two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah. Now, Moses uh, had died some 1,500 years ago. And Elijah had died some uh, 900 years ago. But uh, here we see that they both appeared in glory with Jesus. What does this show us? What does this show us? That uh, in a sense, there is no true death for believers. There is, there is no true death for believers. You know, there are some who teach that, you know, who, uh, there are some teach that there is uh, no afterlife after this life. No afterlife. Who has seen heaven or uh, heaven or hell? Who, has, uh, who knows that? And this is all what we have. We live on this earth, we die, we perish here, and this is the end of everything. But what does this show here? That uh, for believers, there is no real death. If you are in Christ Jesus, uh, and when you die, your body will sleep in the grave, and your souls will immediately pass into glory to be with Christ. And here we see that both Moses and Elijah came to speak with Jesus on the mountain. So this also gives us hope. If you are in Christ Jesus and if you die, you would live for all eternity. But if you are outside of Christ, then you will perish for all eternity. But there is no death. Your soul is eternal. 1,500 years, 900 years. But they were there uh, on that particular day with Jesus. Uh, time is Im immaterial. Uh, when you live with God for all eternity, time is immaterial. Now, here uh, we see Moses and Elijah. Now, it is interesting. Uh, it is interesting because Moses represented the law. Moses represented the law. And what did Elijah represent? He represented the prophets. And the Jewish people, uh, Jewish people, they represented to whole of the scripture as the law and the prophets. Both law and the prophets testified about the coming Messiah. And now we have here the law and the prophets once again, testifying that Jesus, the son of Mary, is that Messiah who was to come into the world. Verse 31 shows us that they spoke about his disease, which he, was to, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, this is a very unusual word which, we, which has been used here. The Greek word which is used here sounds exactly exodus. That, that's how it sounds, exodus, and from, from which we get the English word exodus. So here, the two great prophets were speaking about the new exodus which Jesus was about to accomplish, starting with his death, burial, and resurrection. They are speaking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. At the same time, with this word, they are speaking about a new exodus. Moses was the one who, uh, through him, God brought the old exodus, exodus in the lives of his people. And now, through Jesus... He is going to accomplish a new exodus in his person. Not only they confirm, confirm that he was the one about whom the law and the prophets testified, 
but he is accomplishing a new exodus in which God will grant a new heart to his people through his atoning work on the cross. And this was also a tangible sign to the disciples that after his humiliation, there would be exaltation. This was a tangible sign that after his humiliation, there would be exaltation, that, that after his crucifixion, there would be glorification. What we are seeing here is the glory of the king revealed to his disciples. <coughs> glory of the king revealed. Now look at the glory of the king attested from verses 32 to 36. Jesus had taken Peter, John's and uh, P- Peter, John, and uh, James on the mountain to pray. And looking at verse 37, we can say that it was the night Jesus took them so they could pray with them. But it looks like instead of praying with uh, him, the disciples excelled in one thing. They slept. Now this is not the now this is not going to be the last time the disciple excel in this discipline. Yeah. <laughs> Even in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus prayed earnestly concerning the cross, his disciples slept. Now it is not wrong for you to sleep, but there are times when you should not sleep. One such time is uh, when a preacher is preaching uh, is <laughs> when a preacher is preaching. Now I understand that there, there is human weakness. Sometimes you might be very weak, very tired. I understand, but um, one such thing you should not sp- uh, you should not sleep is when a preacher preach. I hope nobody would uh, preach when I preach. But uh, but but if your body is weak, I, I can understand. Sometimes you could doze off. Now, when I was young, there was this uh, one church uh, who would go house to house. Uh, with uh, Santa and a group of people and they would sing carols and dance. Now all the kids in the uh, area waited uh, for Santa to come sing and dance uh, and Santa used to give them chocolates and gifts and this used to be a big thing for kids. Now we are grown up, that's a different thing, but kids are kids. For them, is Santa coming on like around the Christmas time and you know he would come up with a robe you know red color that cap and robe and everything and he would dance and and it it, it used to be awesome <laughs> but but because Santa and his team would uh, begin going house to house late in the night you know by the time the last house come last house comes you know some of the kids would just sleep off because it's like by the time it's like 12 o'clock you know 12 12 30 or something like that and the kids who missed that event, it was a nightmare. <laughs> For them, it was like misery. Like the, that's the end of the life. Like, like their, their life was hopeless. The next day when they talk with their friends, you know, you know it was like, uh, it was end of everything. You know, one thing we see about the disciples is that like they sleep at all crucial moments. It's like at a moment when it's like Jesus in his full glory and he is shining and he is glistening. They were like sleeping when they were supposed to be awake. But thankfully, the disciples are not like the kids who miss the Santa. They did not miss this glorious event fully. They did sleep for a time, but they did not miss this event fully. This is their once-in-a-lifetime event. Luke shows us that when they were fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with him, verse 33 reads, Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, 
Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. I think the disciples were overwhelmed with what they saw. Just a week ago, Jesus had told them that he was going to be going to Jerusalem. He is going to be killed. And even they need to carry his cross. But for disciples and especially for Peter, this is much better. Jesus is in his glory and Moses and Elijah are with him. Moses uh, is the picture of one who has died in Christ. And Elijah is a picture of one who is changed in an instant at the coming of Christ and caught up together to meet him in the clouds as he returns in his glory on the earth. Both enjoy the presence of Christ. You know, uh, here Peter uh, Peter comes up uh, with a suggestion that, uh, Master, it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles. Some commentators say that this was the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. It is that time of the year when Jews lived in tabernacle for a week to thank the Lord for his blessings and his provision uh, during their 40 year in the wilderness. Peter thought that this was a good time for him to make a tabernacle for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. In this way, perhaps all the people will come to the mountain uh, from where he will lead the second exodus. And this is much better than suffering. Then suffer. So for, for Peter, he just wanted to stay on the mountain. We don't know what exactly he had in mind. Mark says that he did not know what to say because he was greatly afraid. And not only Peter, but even John's and, uh, John and James were afraid seeing all of this. And who will not be afraid seeing all of this? Who will not be? If you are on that mountain and you see Jesus' face shining like a sun, and beams of light coming, emitting out of his clothes. And who will not be afraid? It was God in human flesh standing before them with Moses and Elijah. They were seeing the glory of the living God. In the Old Testament, when Isaiah saw the glory of God, he was afraid. When Ezekiel saw the glory of God, he was afraid. And that's a normal response of human beings. Disciples were afraid because they, they saw the glory of God in the face, on the face of Lord Jesus Christ. Here, Peter just blurted out whatever came out of his mind first. He suddenly got up, he's afraid, whatever came to his mind, he just blurted out without thinking uh, for a second. And I think, I think what he said was not very wise, even though he had good intentions. I think what he said was not very wise because Jesus is not on the same pedestal with Moses and Elijah. They were mortal men who are now glorified, but Jesus is the eternal son of God. They were servants, but Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is far superior to any prophets, priests and kings. But at least we have to commend Peter here that he was humble. He didn't say, let us make six tabernacles, <laughs> one for each. But he said three tabernacles. And so at least we have to commend him that he was humble. He loved his Lord. He loved his master. He dearly loved Jesus. He sometimes spoke things which was not very wise. But that did not mean that he did not love Jesus. He loved his Savior. He loved his master. 
But now we hear another voice which gives the impression that the Father in heaven is almost saying to Peter, Peter, shut your mouth, shut up. <laughs> and instead, listen to Jesus. First in verse 34, we see that while Peter was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. This is not your ordinary cloud which you see on a rainy day. This is Shekinah glory. In Exodus chapter 40, we read that after Moses completed the tabernacle, God's Shekinah glory filled the tabernacle. The Shekinah glory cloud was God's literal manifestation of himself on earth. His literal manifestation. No man could see God and live. But at times, God himself manifested himself, manifested himself in the cloud and pillar of fire. In such a way that man that men could see it and not die. So when the children of Israel walked in the wilderness, the glory cloud went in front of them in the daytime and in the night pillar of fire. Now, now the disciples are overshadowed by the same cloud and Luke shows us that a voice came from the cloud saying to him, this is my beloved son, hear him. In other words, stop speaking Peter. The one to whom you speak is my beloved son. I am well pleased with him. You need to listen to him. This is the witness of the heavenly father concerning his son. The father in heaven is pleased with him and he demands every human. He demands that you pay attention to him, his beloved son. Moses says in the book of Deuteronomy that the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me and him you shall hear. If you will not hear his voice, God will require God will require uh, God will require of you. Uh, you are responsible uh, to hear Jesus speak. Here the Father attests that Jesus is his beloved Son, and all must listen to him. And uh, look at uh, verse thirty-six. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had uh, seen. I believe that this whole incident happened for the sake of the disciples so that they believe. Here we see that Peter, John, and James kept quiet concerning this event. Mark shows us that Jesus told them to tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Why would Jesus tell them to keep quiet if the message of Jesus had to be spread far and wide? I think that if the disciples had told the Jewish crowd that they saw the glory of Jesus and Moses and Elijah appeared uh, with him, the Shekinah glory and the heavenly voice and all attested that Jesus, the son of Mary, is the Messiah, then they would have prematurely declared him to be to be the king of the Jews and that would have put him in direct opposition to the Roman Empire mm -hmm. yes. and but G, and that would have jeopardized uh, even his work his work on the cross but Jesus knew that first comes cross then exaltation first comes crown of thorns and then the crown of honor he first had to die as a living sacrifice for the sins of the world and then his exaltation. If Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross, then the salvation wouldn't have come to us, to Gentiles. So he told them to tell no one. 
But we know that the apostles did not keep this as a secret forever. After Jesus rose from the dead, they freely proclaimed this event. James did not uh, write a book as Acts 12 says that he was uh, put to death by Herod. The book of James which we have in the Bible uh, is written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. But John, writing his gospel in chapter 1, verse 14 says that the word became flesh, became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. They saw his glory with their own eyes. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So they proclaimed that they saw the glory of Jesus. They proclaimed about this event. Then Peter, in his second epistle, chapter 1, and in verse 16 uh, onwards, he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That's what Peter says, that he was eyewitnesses, that that we were eyewitnesses, the plural, eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So they were eyewitnesses and ear witnesses. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter confessed that he witnessed this incident. Now, there are some in our day who would say that uh, Peter, John, and James, they saw Jesus with their own eyes. They hear audibly. But I don't want to believe in Jesus because I do not see him with uh, my own eyes. I do not hear him audibly with my own ears. It was good for Peter, James, and John. You know what does Peter says in Second Peter again, chapter 1 and verse 19? This is what he says. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Which also in some other translation it says we also have the more sure prophetic word. So this is what Peter says that we have more sure prophetic word which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. That means what you have in scripture is more sure, is more sure than what Peter, John and James had on, on that particular day. Mm-hmm. That was temporary. But God's word is eternal. Yes. So you do well when you hear when you hear the word of God, when you hear the word of Jesus, you do well if you heed his word. You must listen to Jesus all what he says. If he has promised to give you eternal life, then you believe in him. Uh, you, believe, you believe whatever he says. If he has said that he will be with you till the end of the world, then you believe in his word. You must take encouragement in that in, in that, that he is going to be with you. If his word says that there is freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is, then there is freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is. If you are going through, if you are in bondage of sin, if you are living under sin, uh, there is freedom in Christ Jesus. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom for anyone 
who is in any who is in any kind of bondage what is lord uh, uh, telling you these days what is he speaking to you these days how are you listening to him and are you listening to him the father says this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased and hear him so you are required to hear him and you will do well if you hear his word and you do well if you obey him and may the lord enable you to heed his word as we pray our gracious heavenly father what a joy for us uh, to hear your word a week after week and to read your word meditate on your word uh, talk about it and discuss with one another and thank you lord uh, for your word uh, once again uh, this afternoon and speaking to us and showing us the glory of our savior he is the eternal son of god and there is no one like him there is no one beside him he is the only one and he loved us with an everlasting love and he gave himself for our sins so that in him we are made new we are brought out of darkness into your marvelous light oh lord we pray that uh, you would continue to work in us and we would continue to hear his word so that we will not uh, perish we have more prophetic word uh, made confirmed in the holy scriptures we ask this prayer in the name of our lord jesus christ amen thank you for joining us if you were blessed by this sermon we invite you to visit us at abqreformed.org where you'll find more information about our ministry we look forward to you joining us again online or in person Until then, may peace, comfort, and grace be given to you through our Lord Jesus Christ.